Father God, we, uh, we thank you. We come before you, and uh, we just want to give you praise. We want to uh, come before you, and I just pray right now through your Holy Spirit, open our eyes. Open our eyes to what you want us to hear, what do you want us to see in your word, in your precious word this morning. Once again, we are so thankful that you love us, you care about us, and that you are always there. Um, have your will be done this morning. In your name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, good morning. Um, if you're uh, here, once again, we are uh, in Romans. So if you want to grab your Bibles, uh, turn to Romans chapter 12. And we are kind of doing a shift here, um, going from pretty heavy-duty stuff to uh, a little more practical stuff. But we'll, we'll talk about that here in a second. Let me go ahead and uh, read this passage. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let me pray one more time. Father God, we once again thank you for your word. We thank you that you are... Um, the perfect author of this, and uh, we thank you for you giving it to us. And right now, I just pray that we will be able to hear specifically what you're telling us through your word today. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so um, how many have been enjoying Romans so far? I've been, I've been really enjoying Romans so far. It, it's been uh, pretty heavy duty. Um, one, 1 through 11 has been pretty deep, um, heavy theology. Uh, we've had a lot of conversations with that um, in, our, in my daily um, interaction with people from the church, uh, small church, uh, people uh, kind of wondering some things. And if you, if you think about it, I, I'm, just, I'm not going to give you an, an exhausted list, but I, I, off the top of my head, some of the things that we've talked about so far is total depravity. Really heavy, right? Uh, justification, sanctification, glorification. We've talked through that. Um, just recently, we talked about election and predestination, which are not light subjects, which are uh, head scratchers for a lot of us. And uh, we're, we're just kind of wondering and, 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 and just really going through these things and, and almost wrestling through these things. And it's, it's been good. It's been good. But it's been pretty heavy. And, and right now, <clears throat> we are... Um, coming into chapter 12, and uh, in, in, in the NIV, it actually says, therefore, first. Um, the ESV says, I appeal to you, therefore. And anytime there's a therefore, um, it's a word to like kind of look back, and it, it's a connection word, if you will. And I, I really feel like this, therefore, is, is a huge connection. It's almost like connecting two continents, if you will. Um, you have uh, way back in the day, before uh, a lot of history was written down, um, there, uh, there was a migration from Siberia area into the North American continent. And there's a lot of theories that there was a land bridge there for a while. And that's how that migration happened. And I really look at this, therefore, as almost like this land bridge between two big continents. We are, we are going from heavy-duty, deep theology. Now we're, we're, we're traveling into the realm of practicality, into the realm of uh, how do we live our daily lives 
in view of all these things that, that, that Paul just shared with us. Wonderful things, wonderful things, but we, we've, we've got to bridge it, right? So we're, we're going from instruction to application. We're going from doctrine to how do we live our, our lives. Uh, from our minds, really wrestling through it and, 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 and wondering how this all works out, to the rest of our bodies, working it out that, that everything in us is actually obeying God, is actually telling us how, how to do things. Um, we're going from this, this ivory tower, if you will, kind of like um, almost like a university in, in a, lot of, a lot of scholarly stuff that we've been talking about into the rubber meets the road, into our daily lives. What, what, what does it look like to live my, my Christian life, everything that, everything that Paul's talked about, when I go to work, when I go to school, in my, in my married life, with my wife, in my family life, with my kids, or maybe, maybe it's my extended family life with my, with my parents or my, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law or my nieces and nephews. Anybody that I rub shoulders with throughout the day, throughout what, no matter what I'm doing as I walk through this life in my daily life, how do I apply this? It is going from knowing to doing, learning about it to living it out. So, so we can go from good sound doctrine to this is how we do life the way that Jesus wants us to. And, and hear me in this, it's not either or. We need both in our lives. We need, we need theology, but we also need to be able to be practical in our theology. And if, if, if someone says, well, it's all about theology and nothing more, you become very disconnected with the outside world around you. And all you want to do is stay in that ivory tower. But if you have no theology, you'll be very immature. And you will fall for every false doctrine that comes along. It's almost like an airplane, if you will. Has anybody ever seen an airplane flying around with one wing? Sounds ridiculous, right? And honestly, I don't think it'll work. I don't think it'd get off the ground. And so, and very, very similarly to the Christian life, we need to have two wings. We need to have the theology that's sound, the sound doctrine that we can work into our lives, but then also, how do, I, how do I go out and do these things on a practical level as I go do whatever I need to do in my daily life? And I believe this is, this is where Paul is coming to in, in, in chapter 12 and in, into the rest of, of Romans. It's going to be very practical. In the NIV, it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers. Uh, the NIV, or the ESV says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. And as, as, as Paul is, is front-loading this, in, in, especially in the Greek, when, he is, uh, when, they, when they worked out sentences like this, this is something he is, he is adamantly about. He is, he is like almost screaming this at the brothers, at, 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 the, at, the, 
at the church in Romans. And he's pleading with, 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 with everything he has in him, if you will, trying to persuade them, compelling them to, um, to do what he is going to talk about here. It's almost like a, a grandfather, if you will, coming alongside a grandson saying, this is what we need to do, and taking him by his hand and, and, and showing him what this is all about. It goes on. Um, in the NIV, it says, in view of God's mercy. I, I really like in view, but I, I really like how the ESV says, by the mercies, mercies of God. And it's, it's, it's really looking at everything, everything that we've, we've come across so far in Romans 1 through 11. All of God's mercies has been poured out on us. And so therefore he's saying, in, in, in view of all the mercies that God has laid out at us, this should be our motivation. This is what should compel us to live our lives for the glory of God. Rightly responding to grace is what he's yelling about right now. And I just, I, just, I just want to take a moment, once again, not an all-extensive list here, but think on what God has done for us, just for a second here. Especially viewing what we've just come out of in Romans 1 through 11. And it's amazing to think about what God has done for us. The fact that he has opened our, our, our eyes, our ears, our spiritual eyes, our spiritual ears. For us to even know that we need saved, right? He's done that for us. He's opened our mind for us to, to understand that we need the gospel, that we, we are fallen creatures, that I, I can't do this on my own, that I need something outside of myself to save me. He has taken us from spiritual death to spiritual life. He has given us faith. He has given us repentance to act on. He has justified us. He keeps us. And he loves us. He has chosen us before the foundations of time. He has given us mercy and grace, even though we absolutely do not deserve it. These, these are just a, just a little bit, just, just off the top of my head. These are the things I wrote down as I was thinking through what we have seen in Romans 1 through 11. I'm sure you guys could come up with even more things of what God has done for us. He has given us breath, right? He's created us. He is, he, we, we do not deserve him at all, and yet he gives us himself. This is the amazing thing about the gospel. And so, as Paul is writing this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, by the view of, of all the mercies that God has laid out on our lives, I'm urging you to do this. To offer, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. 
This has to be a direct reference to the Old Testament. A lot of the, the Jews would be very familiar with this. And um, the priest would go offer sacrifices to atone for, for the sins of, of many. Um, people would bring forward their, their offerings and they would present them to God. Interestingly enough, God set up how to present them. It's not just willy-nilly. It wasn't just like, hey, I, I've got this goat that's lame that only has one horn that isn't going to be good breeding stock and definitely isn't going to be good to eat. I'll, I'll offer that to God. No, there was a standard for which God set this up. A standard, he, he, he set it up. And it's the way that he wanted it to be sacrificed. And it was going to cost you something to sacrifice this. Well worth it, by the way. But normally it would be breeding stock. I mean, it, you know, and, and, and working on a farm, I know that you, you guard your breeding stock. You know, the most perfect animal, uh, what you have, it's, 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 worth, it's worth more than your entire flock. And that's what God was saying. We, we, I need perfection here. And so it cost you something to, lay the, to kill this animal and to lay it on the altar for the sins that you have committed. In the same way, Paul navigates this with a living sacrifice. Folks, God gets to dictate, dictate the terms. We don't. We don't give God the leftovers of our lives. God wants all of us. And by the way, I will say this, it's well worth it. So much better for God to have all of me than just parts of me because it's a blessing in my own life. It has ramifications in my own life and it's so much better than if I'm trying to do it my own. But in the same way, for us, our bodies, all of us, everything, he wants it. He wants all of me. He wants everything I have, my mind, my ears, hands, mouth, feet, so on and so forth, right? He wants all of us, every facet of our lives. He doesn't want to put us, make our lives into compartments and now well, Sunday morning I'll just come to God, I'll, I'll worship, I'll give him my 10%, um, I'll do whatever. But then the rest of my life, I just go out and do whatever I want. It's not what this is calling us to do, folks. It is to be a living sacrifice for the Lord. A sacrifice that is living and holy. I will say this. It's probably a lot harder to be a living sacrifice than a dead sacrifice. Dead sacrifices usually have a tendency to stay on the altar. Living sacrifices kind of like to veer off course. And so in my own life, I have to always guard that. I have to be aware of that, that even though I want to be a sacrifice for God, I have a tendency to 
kind of wander at times. He wants us to live with a purpose, his purpose. Holy. He wants us to be a pure, set apart, set apart from the rest of this world, set apart from what we would say is normal in this world. How many of us have looked at Washington, D.C., and just like, what in the world is going on? Corruption seems like it's everywhere. And they actually make corruption legal most of the time. And so they legalize immorality. It's really easy to point at Washington, D.C., but what about my own life? How many times have I legalized immorality in my own life when I try to make it normal? Because my neighbor did it. Well, they do it. They seem to get away with it. I can do it too. We try to normalize. And this is, what not, this is not what God's calling us to do. He's calling us to be holy, set apart from the world that we live around us in. Holy, acceptable to God. Pleasing to God is what the NIV says. Well-pleasing, if you look at the word acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Once again, how do we do this? How do we, how do we become well-pleasing to God? Holy and, and set apart and living for God. And at this point, you may be like, Matt, you're getting close to legalism here. And this is not about legalism. This is being rightly motivated by grace, not by guilt. And once again, we've got to remember, we're saved by grace, right? I'm already there. God has already made me his son. He is my father. And so I'm not trying to climb the ladder to get to him. It's not, I'm not trying to make it about me saving myself in this. But I am actually called, because I am a son of God, to live a holy, upright life that's acceptable to God. That's who I am. That's my new identity in Christ. This is what I'm called to do. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, our Father. Once again, he's our Father, isn't he? Growing up, how many of us wanted to please our Father? And just wanted to say do something that our Father would look at us and say, good job. And some of us may have had homes that were like that. And some of us may not have homes growing up like that. But I think there was ultimately a desire to want to please our Father. I know being married to my wife, I want to please my wife. Even last night, 
we went to Lowe's and got a new, new door handle for the bathroom. And I was working on it. I didn't really want to, <laughs> if I'm going to be honest. <laughs> Especially with the way that it was set up beforehand. Whoever, whoever put the other doorknob on didn't do it to standard procedures. This is the thing, though. Why did I do it? Because I wanted to please my wife. <laughs> and it wasn't like out of like, oh, man, I, she, was, she was just, you know, berating me that we had to get it done. No, she just said, well, it'd be nice to get it done. And I was like, we got home, and I was like, I, I just want to get it, get it done. But ultimately, what I wanted to do was please her. And this is how it should be for us as sons and daughters of God. My motivation should be there where I want to please God, my Father, my Heavenly Father. I want to hear Him say, you're doing a good job. Doesn't mean we're going to be perfect at it. But that should really be our motivation in, in everything that we look at. Especially coming out of, out of what we just learned in, in the beginning of Romans here. Paul goes on. Holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship. NIV says your spiritual act of worship. And and really this is this is Paul just kind of landing landing at, at, at the end of this end of thought here. And he's calculating it out. This is this is this is the most logical, the most logical thing to land on here. This is actually how you worship God. By presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. It's the only thing that really makes sense. How could I do anything else in view of everything that God has done for us? I will say this also, and we've, we've talked about this at Mercy Hill. I know Eric's talked about this numerous times. We've talked about this at partnership class. Worship, it's not just about coming up here and singing a song. Even though the worship team did a great job this morning, by the way, I, I appreciate you guys leading us in worship. Worship's everything we do. And ultimately, we have been created for worship. Every one of us worships 24-7. It's just who or, or what are we worshiping. That's the reality of worship. Since we have been created for worship, and ultimately we've been created to worship God. But this is where we get in trouble when we worship something other than God. Bible calls it idolatry. And so worship isn't just coming about church on a Sunday morning to worship service or singing. It is with everything that we do all day long. And ultimately, it is about us worshiping God. Once again, when things get in place of that, a lot of times, if I'm going to be honest, when I'm sitting, it's because I'm worshiping myself. 
I put myself on the altar. I want what I want, and I want it now. Sounds like a commercial. I want it my way, right? Sounds like another commercial. And that's, that's what we war against within our flesh. But that is what God is calling us to. We have been created for worship, a lifestyle of worshiping him 24-7, 365 days. That's what God's calling us to do, to live on the altar for God, to lay our lives down and say, it's not about me, it's about God. What does God want? Not me. Sounds pretty easy, right? But it's difficult at times, especially when my flesh starts screaming and yelling that I want what I want, and I want it now. As we move into verse 2 of chapter 12, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. That's the NIV. Um, ESV says a little simpler. Do not be conformed to this world. I really like how the, the NIV says it, the pattern of this world. And, and, and really, when we get into, into chat, or verse 2 here, he gives us, he, he, verse 1, he kind of throws us out. This is what we're supposed to be doing. And then verse 2, he kind of gives us some really good practical ways of doing it. And so first and foremost, he says, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. Do not be pressed into the shape of the world, if you will. Um, Colossians, Colossians 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ so when we're talking about this world what are we talking about here do not be pressed into this this the shape of this world I would say it's this world system if you will what's this world system look like It's evil. It's evil. It's in opposition of what God, of everything that God has for us, everything that God represents. It's in complete opposition to that. It's actually a mindset. And what do I mean by that? It's a mindset of to man be the glory. We want to glorify mankind. Ultimately, myself. I want to worship myself. I want to worship man and put him at the center of everything. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't take much to hear that. Even in, in conversations on social media and, and, and even the media itself, and you turn on the TV, it, it's, it's usually centered around man. It's all about me. And ultimately, there is a seductive lure in that, isn't there? Hey, I'm not that bad of a guy. You know, hey, you know. I deserve this. But we have to remember, why, why is it evil? 
Why is it in opposition to everything that God has for us, everything that God is? Because it's ruled by Satan. Satan is the prince of this world. And that is why, since he's leading it, it's an open rebellion to what God, who, it's open rebellion just God in general. But everything that God has set up, and even right now we, 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 we see there's a, an attack on a family, right? An attack on even something as simple as gender. <laughs> what, what in the world? Well, it shouldn't, shouldn't shock us as Christians that there is an attack on everything that God has said is good and has put order to. And Satan comes in and just likes to twist everything that God has given to us that is good. Even sex. In the confines of marriage between one man and one woman, that's what God has given us. The world has twisted it and made it dirty, made it perverted, made it... So we see this, that everything about the world is open rebellion to what God has set up and to God himself. And we are, we are told, like in, in, in 2 John 2.15, do not love this world or anything in this world. Do not love this world's system is, is, is what this is referring to. Our citizenship is not here. It's not in this world, but in heaven. And this is, this is how we have to think through. As we walk <laughs> in this life, as we go to work, as we go to school, as we, as we do whatever we do in life, we have to remember that. That it, this world is not our home. We are just passing through. So this begs the question, so Matt, does that mean that we don't live, we, we, we don't have stuff? Is it wrong to have stuff? Is it wrong to be in this world? And that, that, that would be the, the next logical question in my mind. We, we have uh, uh, even, even churches in some religions in this area that would say that you have to not be in this world. So what does that look like? Well, you have to uh, not have electric or you have to dress a certain way. And, and, and my kickback would be this. It, it's not wrong to have things, but do the things have you. Because even people that live in those simpler places are they have attachments to their stuff <laughs> right or you can be attached to your stuff no matter how where the rules are set up and so it is not wrong to have things in this world but where are your values do the things have you and I'll, I'll say this right, right now I would just encourage you guys to think about this 
Is there anything that you're not willing to give up for Jesus? And only you can answer that question. Only I can answer that question. But if there's something there that you're like, eh, I don't know, then you might have to think and pray through this a little bit. And I'm not saying you even have to give it up, but are you willing to give it up? You know, there's an old, there was an old saying uh, back when I was in high school, and there was T-shirts even said it, he who dies with the most toys wins. I ended up wearing a shirt that said, he who dies with the most toys still dies. <laughs> and that's true, right? I mean, every single one of us in this life is going to face dying, unless Jesus comes back before that. A lot of mornings, I, I, I do a morning walk, and I go up into the cemetery. I've, I've shared this before. And I walk. And sometimes it's a good reminder for me because every single, every single headstone, well, I won't say every single because there's some people that buy headstones beforehand, so they haven't passed away yet. But every, 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 every tombstone that has a body underneath it has a beginning date, a dash, and an ending date. Not too many people. I, I don't know... There's a few people that I would have known in that cemetery, but there's a lot of older 1800s, probably Civil War era, and even before that, that I have no idea who they are. All I can see is this tombstone with their name and two dates and a dash between. The reality is every single one of us face that ending date. And for the believer, that date's glorious because I get to go home with Jesus. For the non-believer, for the person that doesn't know Jesus, that date's devastating because they just literally lived their best life. So as we go into this world, what, what's, what, what's the, how do we do this? We need to be insulated from the world values. We need to insulate ourselves from the world values. And isolation is not, is not the way to do that. Because the Bible is very clear. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Share Jesus with everybody you know. So, Living an isolated life away from everybody is not the answer. But living an insulated life is. We need to be insulated in the Word of God. We need to be insulated in Christ. We need to be insulated by the Father being our Father. Another way of looking at it is, how many of you guys like to fish? Well, our boat needs to be in the water. You're not going to be able to fish if you're, if you're not in the water, right? <laughs> you know, I, I know some guys that own boats, and they never have them in the water. 
it makes me really scratch my head. What's the point of having a boat if it's never in the water? But once I launch that boat in the water, I surely hope that there's no water in the boat. Right? Otherwise, there are going to be some really big problems. Same for us as a Christian life. It doesn't make any sense to have Jesus, to be able to share it. What else are we to do except for sharing Jesus with others? It doesn't make any sense to have our boat in our garage, never out. Never makes, and that wouldn't make any sense not to go out and, and proclaim Jesus and share Jesus. But definitely don't want the world's values, the water, if you will, in my boat. Because at that point, you're not fishing anymore, and you're swimming. Maybe drowning, depending on how deep the water. <clears throat> so do not, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The NIV says renewing of your mind. So it's an ongoing process, if you will. Transformed, be changed. Um, it's it's the, the Greek word for how a, how a caterpillar turns, it turns into a butterfly. There's actually a transformation, a changing, a complete changing of who I am. My very nature is being changed. And so it has to come from my mind. The goal of Scripture is not just for information. It's for transformation. not just enough to learn the truth. We must live it and love it. By the renewing of our mind, being made new again. Colossians. Go to Colossians again here. Colossians for chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Dear friends, now we, now we are children of God, and what we will be, <clears throat> what we will know, that when He appears, He shall be like Him, for He we shall be see Him. And I'm having a hard time reading. Sorry, my glasses. <laughs> I'm getting old. Sorry. <laughs> Colossians three, two and three. Let me start again. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known but we know that when he appears we shall be made like him for we shall be see him as he is everyone who has has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure um we are we are being changed and we we have him coming into our lives you know what i was in the wrong chapter that's why or the wrong verse let me let me go to the right verse <laughs> Sorry about that. Colossians chapter 3, 2 and 3. Set your, yeah, this is so much better. <laughs> Sorry about that. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Put to death, therefore, whatever. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. That's huge. 
And so there's something that comes out of us renewing our mind, understanding, setting our mind on things above, not on things on, on the earth. Um, so your mind, so your mind goes, is how your life goes. Um, we, we saw in, in Romans even, in Romans chapter 1, um, at the beginning, where it talks about what happens to people. Um, Romans chapter 1, 21 and 22, verse 21 and 22. For although they know God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. This is what happens in our minds if we, if we don't renew them. This is what the world does. Their futility of thinking, how they think about God. They know there's a God, but they don't really care about God. And so as, as we are being transformed by the renewing of our mind, and ultimately, how do we do that? I would dare say the Bible. God's word is given to us for a reason. That uh, it is about getting it in us and understanding it, to read it, to study it, to hear it, to memorize it, meditate on it, to apply it. All those things. Uh, that will renew our mind and it will transform our lives, transform our minds, and, and turn that into a transformed life. And, and this, is, this is actually Paul's practical way of talking about this as, as, as we are living as a sacrifice. This is how it happens, by renewing our minds. And then, then we get into it. Here, where it says, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Uh, worship team, you're, you can come on up. How many of you guys want to know what God's will for your life is? I hear that all the time, people talking about and saying, man, I really wish I knew what God's will for my life is. Well, first and foremost, his will will never be contrary to what the scripture says. I'll throw that out first and foremost. But a lot of times it, it's, it's practical things like, oh, what do I need to do? Like, do I need to go to school here? Or who am I going to marry? Some of these big questions, right? But, but ultimately, what's God's will for my life? Well, first and foremost, do you know Jesus? He wants you to know Jesus. But if you know Jesus, then by all the mercies that he's given us, we need to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. Um, it's interesting the language here that, he, that, that Paul uses. Then, the result here, you will be able to test. And, and this is literally like a, a coin tester back in the day. And they still, they still use, do this in, in coin shops today, but there's somebody that's certified to do this, and they'll actually take a small sliver of the coin and test it for the purity and see if it's really gold or not. So you will be able to do that. You'll be able to know if it's true or not when, when something comes along if you are renewing your mind to, to understand and, and to approve and what, what God's will is, his good, opposite of evil, opposite of bad, pleasing, accepting, well-pleasing, 
and perfect, complete and whole will for your life. Real question, real quickly, I, I just want to close out with, with a few questions. What would it look like if, if Mercy Hill, everyone at Mercy Hill, here in the theater, would apply these verses to their lives right now? And I know there are people applying their, these verses to their lives right now. I know there are people doing that at Mercy Hill. There's no doubt in my mind. But what would it look like if everyone, everyone at Mercy Hill would apply what we just talked about this morning into their lives? What would their individual lives look like? Their family. How would church look? And how would our community look? Let me pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you so much for everything you have given us, all your mercies that you have poured out on us. We love you. And we thank you. And right now, I just pray, as, as we look at this, these practical things that you are giving us through Paul, I just, I just ask that you, you really allow us to penetrate our minds, penetrate our hearts. Um, convict us where we need conviction. And, and Father, we, we just really want to live for you. And I just ask right now that you will um, just show us how it looks to live as a sacrifice for you. Once again, we thank you. We are um, thankful for your grace and mercy that you have poured out on us that we do not deserve. In your name.